0: Oh Lord, my God, in you I put my trust, Oh Lord, my God, in you I put my hope, Oh Lord, my God, in you I put my trust, Oh Lord, my God, in you I put my hope, up holy hands and sing let the praises ring Oh Lord my God to you I give my hands Oh Lord my God to you I give my feet Oh Lord my God to you I give my Everything, oh Lord my God, to You I give my life. You
1: can all take a seat, and now we have announcements.
2: There's Travis. Thank you.
3: Stand closer.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Move up front. You can hear me. (laughs) My name's Don Anderson. Um, I don't know. What do I say? Uh, I have 15 grandkids. My oldest granddaughter and her husband are school teachers. She sent me a mug that says, just when you think your job as a grandfather is finished, somebody calls you great. We, we have a little Peyton that's about a year and a half old, and she is a doll. She just, she's a hoot. She can do no wrong. You guys, some of you know what I'm talking about. Family prayer night, Tuesday, May 25th. You guys need more coffee or something. There's no response. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. We got a Yay. You know, something that I just, just want to say, because I, I, I for one, and I'm very partial to Shane's teaching. Shane, Shane's just a real guy living with a real God and teaching us to live real lives with a real God, and it's really cool. But one of the things that's really been eating at me lately is things like Benjamin Franklin's Poor Richard Almanac, The Golden Rule, when you really stop and think about it, it works against the Bible. It actually goes the other way, and more people quote Poor Richard's Almanac n- nationwide than they do Scripture, but they think that it's Scripture. Tyler gets it, he's a Bible teacher, and it's It's something for us to be aware of and appreciate Shane's teaching and get our nose in the Word of God and every day, sometime during the day, crack it open, read it, pray it, and live it. Isn't that great? It's only three steps. So we know God is addressing men because there's only three things to do. Read it, pray it, and live it. Good stuff. June 19th, save the date. I don't see anybody writing it down. June 19th, save the date. We're going to have a work day at church. And it's not about the work day. It's fellowship and the relationship. And it's learning amazing things from Alan. It is great stuff. I've learned more from Alan in the past two years than I learned the first 69 years of my life. So come and hang out. Uh, There'll be more information coming. Julie will keep you informed. But it really is, it's a hoot to hang out with each other and do something together and be on the same page. It is just, it's good stuff. Good stuff. Well, that's all I got to flap my gums about, so I'm going to ask Tyler to come up and fill you in on the Gospel of John which I got to tell you is one of my favorites because John really hits the spiritual aspect of daily living.
4: Thank you. So Shane said I could have five more minutes and uh, give you a friendly reminder that class starts tomorrow. I'm pretty sure he meant 30 though when he said I could have some time this morning. All right. So but I'm going to go pretty quick because I do talk fast. That's just how I am because once I get going, I just I just go. So one of the main things that has been really on my mind to talk about through this class and has really been kind of the impetus of why I wanted to teach the class is making, helping make people aware of how the Old Testament relates to the New Testament because I feel like the majority of Christians ignore about two-thirds of the Bible. And I really commend Shane for his uh, efforts in preaching through Jeremiah. That's, a lot of preachers wouldn't tackle that. That's really difficult. Um, you know, Numbers is next, right? I, is that right? <laughs> So the Old Testament can be really difficult to tackle. There's a lot of stuff in there. There's things that are difficult to understand, and there's just a lot of it, and we don't really understand it. So, And it might seem strange to start in the Gospel of John when we're talking about the Old Testament, but I think you'll see what I'm trying to get at once class starts and we really get into it. It's going to be fun. But one thing we have to understand is that the Old Testament was not written by Europeans. It was written by Jewish people, and they have a very different Uh, mindset and culture and language, and they just think completely differently than we do. So we have to get into their mindset if we want to understand scripture. And it's easy to see the New Testament as different from the Old Testament. And yes, there's a dichotomy and there's a change between the Old and New Testaments, and we need to understand that change, but we also need to understand the connection. Because the New Testament was also written by Jewish Eastern Old Testament people and it was written to an Old Testament audience. They didn't know what the New Testament was yet. They didn't know those changes yet. So we actually need to read the New Testament with a Hebrew-Jewish understanding as well, or we're never going to get it. So what does Jesus say about this? In Matthew 5.17, one of my favorite verses, Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, I have come not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So, history lesson on this um, uh, tangent, but I like this. So, the Old Testament scripture is referred to, if you've ever heard a Jewish uh, teacher, he may refer to it as Tanakh. What is Tanakh? Tanakh is actually an acronym. The T-N-N-K stand for uh, Torah, Nevi'im, and Kethavim, which translated is the Law, the Prophets, and the Scriptures. So when Jesus says, at any time in the New Testament, when you hear them talk about the law and the prophets, they're not making a broad general statement. They are talking about the Old Testament scripture. That's what they're referring to. It's the law. Well, it may also be referred to as Moses, who wrote the law, the first five books of the Old Testament. So what does it mean when Jesus says, I'm coming to fulfill the law, fulfill the first five books in the New Testament, or the Old Testament? What does that mean? Well, I don't have time to go into that right now. But, come tomorrow. The other thing he says in verse uh, 18, he says, Truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass away from the law until it's accomplished. What does that mean? Accomplished. Something in the Old Testament had to be finished. It's not just going away. It's not just, oh, you know, the law is over. Now we live under grace. Absolutely, that's true. But we still need to understand this Old Testament stuff because it brings light. It brings understanding to how we understand the New Testament. The other thing, uh, Luke, if you've ever been asked the question, if you could go to any point in history, what would it be? This is mine. On the road to Emmaus, Jesus, after his resurrection, appears to two disciples. And in verse, let me see, 27. He says, beginning with Moses, the law, and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. He's not breaking generalized statements. He's talking about the entire Old Testament, law, prophets, and scriptures. All things concerning Jesus, he taught them about himself through the Old Testament. Obviously, Jesus is in the Old Testament, and if we're not seeing Jesus in the Old Testament, you're not reading it properly yet. In Revelation, I'm not going to go there, but in Revelation, um, John describes the new heaven coming out of heaven, or uh, descending to the earth, new heaven coming to earth, and um, he describes it, and there's a lot of imagery, and so we just like to read through it, it sounds really pretty, but if you really read it, he says he describes the twelve. The city has 12 gates, and on the gates is written the 12 tribes of Israel, and he says there are 12 foundations, And on the foundations is written the 12 apostles. It's backwards. Old Testament came first, but it's not the foundation. The New Testament is the foundation. And through the New Testament, we can finally understand the Old Testament. And John, which is where we're eventually going to get to, John actually makes a lot of parallels to the Old Testament. He relates the person of Christ and who he is and what he means to us. And he explains the Old Testament and how it relates to the New Testament specifically through the tabernacle. And one of my favorite classes is going to be we're going to look at the tabernacle and we're going to look about how John showed us that Jesus is the tabernacle. In the Old Testament, the tabernacle was where Jesus lived among his people. Jesus is the tabernacle of the New Testament. He came and he put on flesh and he dwelt among us. He is the vessel of God to live in our midst. So that is a sneak peek. Tomorrow, 6 p.m., downstairs in the fireside room, and we're gonna have a fun time. I'm excited.
1: Okay, now it's my turn, and I don't need that. So, we need help. I want everybody to look back there, but look in the back. You see, see Travis, he's all by himself because <laughs> I don't have enough sound people and media people. <laughs> if you have ears that mostly work and you like to learn and have a teachable heart, we can teach you soundboard. If you have a finger that you can push buttons with, maybe two fingers to push buttons, we can teach you how to do media. It's really not that hard. And it's a blessing to everyone that is here and everybody that's uh, watching at home They can't be here for whatever reason. It's a mission to them to that we're able to run media so they can see it too. So if that sparks your interest at all and you would like to relieve Travis, my brother is usually the, the one running in sound. He actually has today off, amazingly. Um, so if you would like to help us out with that, please come talk to me, and that would be wonderful. And now if everyone wants to stand back up, and we'll continue with. With music, there we go.
3: See that the Lord is good or taste.
0: Great is thy faithfulness, O oh God, my.
1: a seat, and kids are dismissed.
5: I think that's one of my favorite songs. Uh, has been for a while. really, really enjoy that. Um, it's always a test, right, to actually ask the question, do we believe that he's on his throne? Good times are bad. Uh, is, is, that, is that where our hope's at? Is that where our faith is at? Is that where our heart's at uh, when, when we see those the bad times? I mean, I don't know about you guys, but it's often in the bad times that I realize that I'm not trusting him in the good times. You guys ever notice that? The good times, I'm like, I'm good. So I don't find myself really dependent on him. But when things get tough, I'll, I'll be like, hey, where are you at? I think Jeremiah is probably in a similar spot and we'll actually see that today. I remember last week as we were going through the, the process, I said it was part two and, and we're going to get there today, uh, but, but in last week's process with Jeremiah we actually saw him uh, he was talking about the covenant that's been broken he was talking about the fact that the Lord actually told him don't pray for them I'm not going to respond to their prayers because of the broken covenant that they had and, and then Jeremiah uh, actually acknowledges that God's promise has protection he's he shares with him that there's people who are plotting against him to try and kill him and we're going to actually see that uh, exposed a little bit more today. Um, but but we didn't have time to actually unpack the process of, of what Jeremiah does with his language in inviting us into, uh, I believe, the book of Isaiah. We're going to take a few minutes and look in chapter 53 of Isaiah uh, this morning because it's a big part of where we're at. Um, but that's one of the things I, I love about that song that we just sang, You Are God Alone, is that it's in Isaiah that we see this picture of God by the throne. I was As we were singing that song and I was actually expressing that in my head, in my in my mind, I was imagining that I was looking at the description of his throne uh, that we actually see from Isaiah, that he was sitting on the throne and, and that the light was coming out from him as it was. And that's the God that I was saying, you are God alone. And that was the moment. I was trying to actually picture that in my mind this morning as we were singing that song. Because so often in, in the midst of our lives, when, when things get tough, we get a little distracted. Would you open your Bibles to Jeremiah? We're going to be in chapter 11, uh, verses 18 through 20 is all we're going to look at in our opening reading. It's going to kind of set the stage, and then we're going to, we're going to run back and grab pieces throughout 11 and 12, and um, my hope is that you will see... Uh, It's actually ironic that you mention John being the picture of the Old Testament, because today we're going to look at Jesus through primarily the Old Testament uh, in in this picture, Um, not extensively, but but very briefly. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 11, verse 18 says this, The Lord made it known to me, and I knew then you showed me their deeds. But I was like a gentle lamb led to the slaughter. I did not know it was against me they devised schemes, saying, Let us destroy the tree with its fruit. Let us cut him off from the land of the living, that his name be remembered no more. But O Lord of hosts who judges righteously, who tests the heart and the mind, let me see your vengeance upon them, for to you have I committed my cause. It's interesting in this point in Jeremiah's, Jeremiah's uh, ministry, we actually see him uh, dealing with some conflict and some difficulty, and and he actually makes a statement that I think, at least for me, it really resonates uh, with me in this process. He's being attacked from within, uh, but later on, actually in verse twelve, uh, he says something even more uh, troublesome, right? And and I think it would be it's troublesome for us. I, again, I don't know if you guys have have watched uh, any of the news or any of our culture, but it seems like we're less interested in God than what we were before. Um, I love Don's uh, Don's announcement this morning, reminding us that the almanac has probably been quoted with more authority than Scripture anymore in our in our in our nation, um, which is pretty hard to even imagine, right? That we're checking the weather, we trust anybody that tells you weather more than Scripture. <laughs> That's a little scary, right? Oh, right? Okay. I'm like, you guys don't really trust the weatherman, do you? look outside first. Okay. Some of you are making me a little nervous. Look at what Jeremiah says in chapter 12. Chapter 12, verse 1. He says this, Righteous are you, O Lord, when I complain to you. Just want to Just let that process for a minute. Did you hear what he said? Righteous, O Lord, are you when I complain to you. Yet I would plead my case before you. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all who are treacherous thrive? You plant them and they take root. They grow and produce fruit. You are near in their mouths and far from their heart. But you, O Lord, know me. You see me and test my heart towards you. Pull them out like sheep for the slaughter and set them apart for the day of slaughter. How long will the land mourn and the grass of every field wither? For the evil of those who dwell in it, the beasts and the birds are swept away because they said, He will not see our end. You ever ask that question? Lord, why why are all the evil, wicked people thriving? Why don't you wipe them out? You know, David talked about that in the Psalms. We're not going to talk about that uh, this morning, but I, I love some of, the, some of the pieces that we actually see in that. Did you catch the portion uh, of Jeremiah saying, when I complain to you, you're, you're righteous and you judge when I complain, but I'm still going to bring my complaint. Anybody, anybody do that? You're like, Lord, let me tell you what I, what's wrong with your plan. And then when he doesn't respond properly, we like, can we explain it again to you? What's wrong with your plan? I think that, it, that, that describes my heart at times when I watch, uh, especially when I'm watching uh, things go on around us that are painful and difficult. You know, as a youth pastor for a lot of years, I watched kids and parents do destructive things in their home. And even though I would sit with them for hours and we would go through scripture and we'd point at things that were destructive behaviors, they would go right back to them. Anybody do that with your own kids? You're you're watching them do things that are destructive, and you're trying to share with them the grand scope of wisdom that you've gained in your life because of all the dumb things you did as a kid that your parents tried to get you to not do. And how often is it that in those moments as, as we're doing that, um, do, do, you, do you experience that frustration and even despair, I think, at times? And here's Jeremiah trying to encourage his people, uh, the nation that he's living with, that his safety and security is tied to because he's present with them as this destruction is coming. And So I think not only is he frustrated with them, but I think his heart also is, is deeply hurt in the process of all of this stuff that's happening, and he cries out in frustration, why are they continuing to prosper? Why will you not act and bring justice? The interesting part is I think that he's actually pointing at the people of Judah at this point along with the rest of the world, and I, I, we'll tie that in at the end of chapter 12 as well, but did you catch what he said in verse 2? You are near in their mouth and far from their heart. Of people that speak of God, that talk about Him as though He's their own, and yet they don't have a heart after Him. Unfortunately, I feel like that could at times be how people see me even, based on behavior and attitude and
6: things like that.
5: Reminds me, uh, we only have two New Testament passages, so you don't have to scramble around too far today, but that particular moment in Jeremiah's plea of, of their near to their, their mouth and far from their heart, just it drew me to James. We have to go and remind ourselves of, of what James says about this. James chapter one, verse 19 says this. He says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak. Yeah. Do you guys really want to read that? Slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. James makes quite a point about being doers of the word, not just talking about what we believe, but action connected to what we say we believe. And here we see the nation of Israel experiencing punishment because their actions don't line up with their words, right? God's bringing judgment on them because of that reality. Now, I, the thing I love about Jeremiah, you got, i just—if I was in that spot, I'm just trying to think through. If I was in the spot, I'm the one guy that's hearing the word of God. Everybody else is rejecting. Even my family's coming after me. I'd be like, fry them all. I think I would. I would get so discouraged and I'd just be like, just end them. You do your thing. I'm done. I'm not even going to try anymore. But what I love about what Jeremiah does, he's got such a heart that follows, I think, after the Lord that he actually asks for his heart to be examined. Did you see that? Verse 3, but you, O Lord, know me. You see me and test my heart towards you. He recognizes that what God's doing in his life, he's actually working on Jeremiah while he's bringing this uh, this judgment against the nation of Judah. He's actually working on his own heart, his own faith, his own issues that he's dealing with in his life. And I love that perspective because it's super important, I think, as we engage with the world and as we look at uh, what Christ did and, and the promise of Christ coming is that we recognize the need for us to evaluate ourselves. The problem is, when I start looking around, the easy part for me is to look at all of the things that are going on. And look, okay, Lord, a lot of Old Testament guys call for you to bring in your destruction and wipe them out. Anybody want to join me in a prayer for that? I mean, you can see it in the text. That happens, David does it. I mean, you see it all over the place where, where they're actually praying for them to receive the judgment or receive the wickedness or the evil that they're intending for others. In fact, in Proverbs, you actually see the the writer of Proverbs going, he who digs a pit will fall in it. Like how much bigger does it need to be for them to fall into it? But the problem is, is that when my heart is focused there, what am I doing? I've got my eyes on everybody else's sin. I've got my eyes on their issues, right? And what does the New Testament tell us about that? we got to pull the log out of our own eye so that we can help our brother with the splinter that's in his. I think it's really an amazing picture of the heart of Jeremiah and what God's doing, that he recognizes that truth and acknowledges that. And I, and I love that picture. I love what Jeremiah does there. And this is the part that was so cool for me in, in, in the text um, it, it's, in, it, it's actually in the text that we read in verse 19 of Jeremiah 11. You do, I don't think they have that available to you to read, but you can find it in your Bibles because you're following along with me anyway. Yes. But in verse 19... He actually begins and starts going through uh, this messianic uh, language, this picture of what we're actually going to see in Isaiah 53. Verse 19 says, But I was like a gentle lamb led to the slaughter. I did not know it was against me. They devised schemes, saying, Let us destroy the tree with its fruit. Let us cut him off from the land of the living, that his name be remembered no more. Oh, look, they do have it. That's so cool. I love it when the media works. See what, if you had two fingers, you could be doing, helping others? I love that. This is an incredible picture, though, of, of, of Isaiah 53. Turn with me to Isaiah 53. You've got to see this. Now, Isaiah was written, he was on in ministry about 200 years for the nation of Judah, about 200 years before Jeremiah. So it, Isaiah's writing this stuff and, and putting this out. Jeremiah's, my, my guess is, and I don't have any authority on this, but my guess is that Jeremiah is actually quoting some of that text, or he's familiar with it, and therefore we have this language that he's using. Probably the Holy Spirit, but don't tell everybody else that. You can, because it's really part of the cool part of what we see in our text. Look at what it says. have gone astray we have turned every one to his own way and the lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all he was oppressed and he was afflicted yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter like a sheep that that uh like a sheep that before it shears is silent so he opened not his mouth and we just Finished the Gospel of Mark, and that was one of the remarkable things, right? An innocent person who's being falsely accused and he doesn't make a defense. Fulfilling scripture. And here we see in Jeremiah's response this this picture of what Christ is going through this isolated ministry of the Word of God that is being rejected by God's people, by everyone around him. And in the midst of that, they're seeking to take his life. What a picture! Of what Christ did in his ministry. And it continues in verses 8 and 9, Isaiah 53 8. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. The very picture of Christ as he comes to earth and is crucified on the cross. Described here in Isaiah 53, uh, alluded to by Jeremiah, as he describes his suffering and the process that he's going through in this time of of being a prophet for the nation of Judah, as they're cascading themselves into the discipline of God, into the judgment of God. And you guys, you, you know we just love the Lord's response, right? It's in chapter five. He's so gracious and understanding of Jeremiah's
6: plight. Right? Some anybody
5: read ahead yet? I love this response, and it's a little terrifying at the same time. Look at what he says in Isaiah twelve or Jeremiah twelve, verse five. The Lord's response to him is, If you have raced with men on foot and they have wearied you, how will you compete with horses? And if in a safe land you are so trusting, what will you do in the thicket of the Jordan? For even your brothers in the house of your father, even they have dealt treacherously with you. They are in full cry after you. Do not believe them, though they speak friendly words to you. That picture of, if, if you've ran with men and you're exhausted, how are you going to run with horses? You know, I, I grew up farming with draft horses. Uh, the, I had the privilege of working with uh, Barney and Molly. That was their names. Uh, they were both, they were uh, Belgium and Percheron mix. Uh, one was white with dapple gray all over, and the other one was the, just the beautiful brown, dark brown with a white mane and, and a white uh, Remember what? What do they call the white stripe on the front of their heads? It's been a lot of years. Anyway, the racing stripe. yes she had she had her speed stripe right there on, the, on her forehead. But we used to we used to get to work these horses, and and they're huge. They were, uh, you know, I think they're close to like fifteen hundred pounds, and uh, just enormous horses. And when we first, you know, when I when we got to them, I was probably about ten or twelve years old. And for those of you that aren't aware of that, I'm think I was just about over 65 pounds at that point in my life. I was teeny tiny. And so my brother and I would actually have to tag team to get these horses harnessed. My, my brother's three years younger than I was. So you can imagine the, the size of these boys now out handling these massive horses. So we would throw the leather straps for the hames and the harness. He'd be on one side pulling. I'd be on the other side pushing. And we'd actually fidget this harness over these huge horses And we'd take them out and drive them. Less than 100 pounds, controlling more than a ton of two independent brains with two leather lines. How do you do that? It's an incredible thing. And we did all kinds of work. But one of the things that I remember the most vivid about our horses was when we would go out to get them, we would take a bucket of grain. And do you guys know how animals like sweet cob? It's, it's, it's a molasses grain. It's like, it's like Snickers bars to us, I guess. And uh, that's probably a horrible il- illustration, but it's, it's healthier, I think, than Snickers. Um, but we would take that out, and there was a tradition that we would do, and you'd shake the can. And we'd put it in a coffee can, an old metal coffee can. you shake the can, and the horses would come running across the pasture. And the thunderous you felt it in the ground when they came running up to you now the first time you're like you know getting behind dad like what is that but by the time we were done they would come charging up and be right there at our feet with this grain and and they were incredible animals incredibly gentle but i could not keep up with them at any point in my life ever ever I could not walk longer than them. I could not pull more than them. I could not run as fast as them. There was never a point that I could do anything in competition with them. Do you see the picture, the analogy that God's giving Jeremiah? He's saying, you're worn out by people, but what I've called you to is greater than this. There's a great picture of, of what is the ministry of the prophet that Jeremiah has in, in, a, in I don't know, I believe that this is probably even a picture towards what Christ is doing as well in the future. But if you're worn out by the simple tasks that you have, then how are you going to run when it gets really bad? How are you going to do the heavy stuff? Brothers and sisters, I think that this is one of those self-reflective points that we should probably look at our own hearts and go, hey, if we're discouraged, frustrated, worn out, done with ministry, tired and all that because of COVID, we should probably be reevaluating our hearts and go, okay, Lord, what's next? How am I exhausted from that? If we're tired and worn out in ministry and in a, in, a, in a comfortable, safe environment of our country, probably time to be reevaluating where our faith is at. What is it God's calling us to do?
6: Make disciples, right?
5: That's where you guys go, yeah, amen. That, that, that's, the, that's an okay responsiveness right there. That's a safe one, you guys. You could have even said Jesus at that point and been okay. But what's he calling us to do? In a country where it's, we're free to go around and talk about our faith, we're told to talk about our faith. We're told to share our faith with our neighbors
6: when it's still legal to do so.
5: Thank you! Yes! I Just think about how much more difficult it's going to be when it's not. Think about how much more difficult it is in any other third world country where people are dying for their faith. My, my heartbeat, my, the angst for me is, how am I exhausted? How am I being discouraged? How is life tearing me apart right now when it, we, we really have it the easiest we could possibly have it in light of ministry? We should probably learn from this moment and recognize that what God's called us to, what God's calling uh, Jeremiah to do is beyond his capacity, and I get it. And there's more coming, but Jesus uh, or God's saying to Jeremiah, going, but I'm protecting you, I've got you covered, and, and I've made you for this. You've got everything you need to accomplish this task, and I believe we've been given the same promise. And so we probably need to ask in our own heads and in our own hearts, take a few minutes and say, Lord, man, am I discouraged by this?
6: Have I been shut down by life? Am I
5: faithfully not being faithful? See the play on words there. Sometimes I think I'm more faithful, faithlessness. And that's really discouraging when I start looking at the culture and I start looking at the need for the gospel. I start looking at my opportunities for the gospel. And I think to myself, how am I worn out? How am I discouraged by ministry? How am I complaining about my life? (laughs) How am I complaining about a
6: backyard sprinkler system? What in the world? You know the beauty of
5: all of this is that although the Lord, He does challenge Jeremiah here, and I think He encourages him to get his get his eyes back on the prize, get his eyes back on what's important. Even though Jeremiah referenced, you know, made our messianic. Uh, 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 picture in his language, even though he's uh, hearing from the word of the Lord and God's speaking to him in person, he's discouraged and he's worn out and he's frustrated and he's crying out for the nations to be, for those who are evil to be taken out. And the Lord again responds to him in verse 14, verses 12 and 14 of Jeremiah 12, excuse me, Jeremiah 12, verse 13, I'll get there. You know, one of the things that I am so grateful for in this church, I'm grateful that God's given us a bunch of different Bible teachers in this place. I am so blessed that we have Tyler, we have Alan, we have Gary, we have others who God hasn't even raised up yet and put up here yet, but I'm just so blessed that we have God's gift, and, they're, and they're, we're all different, right? We all, we all do things different, present differently, but it's really a gift from the Lord that he that he's done that and i i'm just so grateful um and i i it's not a plug for the class on monday but if you're not there you're crazy um but god responds to this this issue that jeremiah has presented and you you really want to read all of the passage i want to really encourage you to read all of chapter 12 we're not going to get to be able to do that today but look in verse 13 of chapter 12, he says this, They have sown wheat and have reaped thorns. They have tired themselves out, by profit, uh, but profit nothing. They shall be ashamed of their harvest because of the fierce anger of the Lord. Thus says the Lord concerning all my evil neighbors who touch the heritage that I have given my people Israel to inherit. Behold, I will pluck them up from the, their land, and I will pluck up the house of Judah from among them. God says that all of the work that they're doing, all of this produce that you think that they're gaining, everything that that when you look at them from the outside that you see as them profiting and them thriving and them flourishing in the midst of all this stuff, it's for nothing because it's merely physical, it's merely earthly things that will fade, that are not eternal. And he says, because when God's judgment comes, it will be a fierce anger. You see that in verse 13. He says, because of the fierce anger of the Lord, they'll be ashamed about the harvest. They'll be ashamed about the things that they have spent their whole life producing and pulling together. And then he lines out for us that even the nation of Judah will be plucked up neck with those who are evil, the, the, the evil neighbors who are defiling the land, the heritage that was given to the nation of Israel. All of those who are evil, all of those who are practicing these things will be removed by God in His judgment. Yay! That's, that's an important thing. It's a, it's a powerful truth. And it's a reality that, that we can, I mean, we could go and look at the sow and reap thing, but I, I want us to finish, I believe, on what, what God Himself finishes with, and I just think it's an amazing, beautiful picture that he picks up in verse 15 of Jeremiah 12, because he doesn't leave them there. I love that he doesn't leave us there. Because we're looking at the Messiah who's coming, the promised Messiah who's coming, and it's the character and nature of the Father, and this is what he says in Jeremiah 12, 15. And after I've plucked them up, I will again have compassion on them. And I will bring them again, each to his heritage and each to his land. And it shall come to pass, if they will diligently learn the ways of my people, to swear by by my name as the Lord lives, even as they taught my people to swear by Baal, then they shall be built up in the midst of my people. But if any nation will not listen, then I will utterly pluck it up and destroy it, declares the Lord. Do you see his compassion? If they will learn my ways, if they will obey my word, if they will claim me as God and not other gods. And, and you love it how he lines that up. If they'll learn the ways of my people. What are, what are his people doing right now? They're following their ways. They're following all the idolatrous ways. They're following all the nations, the false gods. They're not following God's way. They don't have that picture. And he's saying, after I've plucked them up, after I do this, I will have compassion and I will restore them that follow me. Those who worship me will be built up. Those who reject
6: me will face great
5: judgment and and, and suffering. Paul refers to this in Romans. And again, I think it... Plays, it, it's a great spot for us to end today in, in a point of reflection, in a point of worship, in a point of celebration. Romans chapter eleven, verse eleven says this. So I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespasses, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles. So as to make Israel jealous. Now if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now I'm speaking to you, Gentiles, inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jew jealous, thus save uh, and thus save some of them. For if the rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. Severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness towards, towards you, provided you continue in His kindness, otherwise you will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. And if you were cut off from what is by nature the wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? Paul's reminding the Gentiles, don't let it go to your head that you're the church. Don't let it go to your head that you've been grafted in to Christ, into the root. He says God's discipline, God's God's, uh, uh, judgment, if you will uh, is available for those who are disobedient even if you've been grafted in. We you saw that, right? He broke off the branches that refused to obey his word and grafted in those who were by nature were opposed to that and are now grafted in and supported by the root. We're supposed to keep our focus on what? On the source. Of the support. We're, our, our focus is not on us being grafted in. It's on who the supply is. Who's, who It's the root. It's Christ. We don't get arrogant because we're part of the church. We don't, we don't get focused on ourselves and say, Oh, those, you know, those sinners that are horrible, I hope they fall in the pit. Although, I'm not going to lie to you guys, I am praying in a specific manner for, for people And and what I've been trying to do is is make sure it's God's thing and not mine, but I feel like there are people who are actively going after things that are dishonest and and not okay and, and just not appropriate. And so part of my prayer has been, Lord, I would ask that in your judgment, in your grace, that you would bring upon them the things that they're planning for others. I hope that's okay. It's better than what went through my head the first time. And I feel like we do see that happen in Scripture. We even saw Jeremiah do it. But Paul in Romans was dealing with an issue that the Gentiles were actually becoming arrogant and and looking down on Jews, thinking that somehow they had actually received something better and therefore were above the Jews, which was part of what the Jewish nation had a problem doing, right? That was the exact thing that they did to everyone else. They're like, we're better than everybody else because we're God's people. And God's like, no. You're you're not better than them. I am. I'm the source. You're only who you are because you're part of me. And you and I, without being connected to the root, we would be a disaster with no hope. We would be broken, and we'd be pursuing the wicked intents of our heart constantly just like the nation of Israel, just like what we see Jeremiah dealing with. And it's Christ who changes that. It is Christ who is the source and the purpose and the hope that we have, regardless of our circumstances. So no matter what's going on in this world today, no matter what our circumstances are, even if we're the very last person that will testify to the truth of God's word, we are still secure because our hope is in Christ, not in this world. I'm telling you, we get discouraged just like Jeremiah. We get our eyes off of the source. Even Jeremiah, I love what he says. You are righteous when I come and complain to you. Don't you love the terminal? I love that he uses that language. I love that.
6: So, what's our hope? Where is our focus today? Are you guys tired?
5: Are you frustrated? Are you worn out? There's a really good chance if that's where we're at, then we're pursuing the wrong stuff. That our eyes are on the wrong thing. Our source is we're plugged into the wrong stuff for life and energy and power, and we're not actually uh, connected to the source that we need to be connected to. You say, but can you do that? Yes. You can become consumed by the things of this world, you can become consumed by comfort and ease, greed, money. whatever it is your cars your backyard whatever it is we can become consumed by those things and it can suck the life out of us politics social things finances i mean think what are the what is it that happens physical stuff anybody hurt this morning amen some of you young people are like why do they talk about that so much don't worry you'll find out <laughs> We can be consumed by all of that stuff and lose focus of what God's called us to do. I'm telling you, I man, I read that and I was thinking, "Amen, preach it, Jeremiah. Why are they doing so well? Why are the wicked so prosperous?"
6: But he's looking at my heart. He's looking at my heart. And he says, "I've got something for you to work on, Shane."
5: got something for you to work on, Liberty Lake Church, because I know what you need. I know what I'm doing. I happen to be the God who's on the throne in the good and the bad. That's the God that we serve. That's the God that writes about the Messiah 200 years before he asked Jeremiah to walk through this stuff. That's the God that writes about his Messiah uh, thousands of years beforehand, as, as he begins in Genesis and lays out the, the very process of the, the battle between good and evil uh, with the serpent and Mary, or and Eve, and the, the two women backed up, next up there. But that's the picture. We serve a God that is outside of time and that actually walks through Scripture and lays these things out and predicts those stuff. Not because he's good at guessing like the weathermen, but because he forms it and he manages it and he controls it and he sustains it and he made it. That's the God we serve. So when he calls us into ministry, when he calls us into his word, when he calls us out of difficulty, and he calls us out of whatever life situations we're in, and he says, come and follow me, that's what we get to joyfully do. That's the privilege that we're invited into. So regardless, wherever you're at today, wherever I'm at today, whatever it is that I'm struggling, you know what I'm worried about? I'll just tell you, because my mic's still on and I have three minutes. That's not true. I don't know if I have three minutes, but... I'm driving I'm driving uh, an RV with my bride, and we're going all the way over to Shehalis, Washington to help my mom and dad re-roof the house. I'm worried about a knee. I'm worried about a shoulder. I'm worried about too much wind. You want me to keep going? All of those things. And now, are they legitimate concerns? Oh, yeah. They're real. They exist. They're going to be a problem, especially the knee and the shoulder. Going to be a problem. But what's my source of life? It is Christ himself. It's the root. It's what we're grafted into. It's the joy that we have in the midst of this life. How we worship God today, how we worship God right now, it's got to be, where, it's be where that point of focus. It's got to be that point of, of anchored foundation that we go to regardless of what's going on. I love that Jeremiah walks us through this. I love it that the Scripture is so honest that it actually shares with us the difficulties that they're facing. But I love even more that Christ is present in Jeremiah. When the judgment of God is coming down, at its, at, its, at its final end for the nation of Judah, and they're, they're going to be exiled out of the promised land, Jesus is still there. He's still there. He's with us now where his children. The very temple resides. I love that illustration. It's such a beautiful picture. Brothers and sisters, we can joyfully walk out this door and be lights for the kingdom. Regardless of what you're going home to, regardless of where you live, regardless of what our culture does, we can be lights for the kingdom because Christ lives today. And he was promised in the Old Testament.
6: And he showed up what we call the New Testament, but you'll learn was the Old
5: Testament. I hope that you find some joy in your relationship with the Lord this week, regardless of where you find your life, regardless of what you end up in. Go back and reread verses chapter 11 and 12 of Jeremiah. I want to encourage you. Go and be encouraged by the book of Jeremiah. That, that, that you can tell your neighbors. My pastor encouraged us to be encouraged in Jeremiah. You guys should come and read this passage with me. But I believe we can. When we see Christ in the midst of that, we really can. It's the joy that we have. It's the hope that we have. It's the power we have. And I want to encourage you to take an opportunity this week to reevaluate, reconnect, and worship God. Worship the God that cares that much, that's present in all things. Would you bow your head and pray with me? Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for this family. I do thank you for this family. Lord, what a blessing this church is to my bride and I. What a joy it is to be here.
6: To actually miss
5: being here with them when we're not uh, is such a privilege. And uh, Lord, you know the needs we have. Uh, you know all of them, from people to, to, to um, parking, the physical things. Uh, you know the needs that we have spiritually. You know the needs that we have physically. You are present with every person here. You're present in every situation. And so, God, for that we worship you this morning. And Father, I thank you that while I was lost and broken in my sin, you promised your Son before it was even time. All throughout the Old Testament, you promised the Messiah, pointing us to a hope that we could not have in our own in ourselves, and that the people failed to fulfill. And your your compassion continued throughout all of our rebellion, throughout all of my sin. Lord, your compassion continued. My Messiah, Jesus Christ, went to
6: the cross for my sin. For that, I worship
5: you today. I give you praise and I exalt your name because there is no God like you. There is no one Like you. We will celebrate that and we will worship
6: that truth with joyful gratitude and thanksgiving today in your name. Amen.
1: Turn on first. All right. We have a new song to share with you. um, so we're going to start with the chorus, run through that a couple times, then we'll start with the song. Once we run ar- I talked too long. Once we run around to this, I can't even begin.
0: who the sun. Slave to sin Jesus died for.
1: To those who are called, wrapped in the love of God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be lavished on you. Amen. Have a good week. See you next week.